Welcome to the FPL Blues Podcast. This is both an exciting and sad episode to be recording as we have officially reached the end of our glorious debut season podcasting. I'm with my co-host, Brian Chin, the best manager on the FPL Blues Podcast. As always, we're together by coastal recording and we're excited to be hitting the mics. How you doing, Brian? Bucks, I'm glad to be back with you. I know we've taken a few weeks away from FPL as uh, I've been quite busy with some business travel and also preparing for an upcoming wedding in the next couple of weeks. So looking forward to recapping our seasons. And I'm no longer the best manager on the podcast because we are both currently tied for OR number one heading into the 22-23 season. So we're back at square one, Bucks, and looking forward to our second season of FPL Blues podcast. Yeah. And, you know, we should just acknowledge the people that made it special. Obviously, Brian, obviously it's great to see your face and be able to record these episodes on the regular. This will now be our 53rd podcast episode, I believe, of the season. So a little golf clap for both of us. We also should yeah, chat. Put, putting in the work, Bucks, putting in the work. That's that's a lot of hours behind the uh, mics and also doing the editing and everything else. So we, we definitely appreciate all the listeners out there and uh, helping fuel our addiction and letting us uh, get some reps in as we took a lot of learnings away from the FPL game this season and then just podcasting in general. So we're super excited for the season ahead. Yeah. And it just, you know, we're really hoping to grow our engagement on social media over the off season. We want to be able to meet more of our listeners and fans of the FPL game in person. So we're going to be making an extra effort to go to FPL USA meetups. Um, if you follow hashtag FPL USA on Twitter or at FPL meets, um, great way to be able to know if there are get-togethers in your community or in your city that you can attend. Um, just quick anecdote, we had the Champions League final last weekend, Liverpool versus Real Madrid, and I was able to be part of the inaugural hashtag FPL USA meetup in New York. We went to the Black Horse Tavern. It was a great time, and there were about eight of us there. Uh, some people didn't even know about it, but they were FPL fans my daughter and I made a sign with some Paw Patrol stickers. So people were just coming over and being like, you know, who are you? Are you, do you work with official FPL? I was like, no, nah, I'm just a, a crazy lunatic who has a podcast. And uh, that's, that's how a lot of great conversations start around, you know, fans of the Premier League, fans of the beautiful game. And the only way to really, I think, take your interest in the Premier League as an American to the next level is to not only have your own team, but to also play FPL. You really start learning the ins and outs of how the game is played, who the most important players are across the table, not just in the team you support. So that was a really great time. Um, and we look forward to doing a lot more of those next season. Yeah, definitely. I think just looking at the overall popularity of FPL in America, this was the first time ever that an American has won FPL overall rank number one, Jamie Piggott. Congratulations. Based out of San Francisco, he was at a bar in, in an old neighborhood of mine in, in the Bay. So I was, we uh, got to get him, Brian. Surprised. We got to, we got to get his uh, dulcet tones and brilliant FPL mind on the FPL blues podcast before the start of next only, season. Yeah. We can only hope to land our white whale, but uh, yeah, congrats to him. And just really cool to see the popularity of the game grow in the U S. So we're looking forward to getting out there with the community, interacting with some more folks, and hopefully also fielding more questions for the podcast next season as we go week to week and try and get those green arrows. So, Bucks, let's take a look back at the rear view mirror. Game week 38, how did you fare? We were both on free hit. Yeah, I was on free hit. I went a little punty. I brought in the likes of Luis Diaz, uh, Barnes instead of Madison. I had... Uh, Chaloba as my Chelsea defender, but so those three, I, I got totally wrong, but the things I did get right were I captain Hyungman Sung. He ended up for 24 points. I also had Harry Kane for 10 and Sessin Young for six um, KDB Harvey Barnes and Jao Cancel each added another six points. So I end up on 64 points all out. 
but that was not good enough to save me from a end of season red arrow. Uh, so I end up at 95,000 in the world. You know, all things considered, that's a really respectable finish. I know a lot of the people that we met with in person uh, at Legends or at the Black Horse uh, were kind of jealous of my finish. And I was telling them how I was like kind of shook because my first rookie season, I ended up just outside the top 10K. So to be even inside the top 100K, it's tough for me to kind of reframe that. But seeing how chaotic and tough this season really was, I'm just proud to have ended up inside the top 100,000 bucket. And I definitely left a lot of points on the cutting room floor, but there's much room for improvement and lessons learned as we approach another kind of unusual FPL season in 2022-2023. Yeah, Bucks, I would say that when you look at your overall game week history rank page on the uh, site, you know, you, you're still under under six digits for both your seasons, so it's a job well done. As the game becomes more popular, it's just more and more difficult to get to that top 25k, top 10k, top, you know, 5k ranks. It really is going to be even for harder. For sure, for sure. There's there's so much information out there. There's so many podcasts. There's so many videos to watch and engage managers are really, really bringing their game to the next level. Uh, in addition to all the stats and metrics available. So I think, you know, top hundred K is a good sophomore season, maybe a little bit of a sophomore slump, but next season you're going to bring it back and uh, hopefully get another really impressive result. I myself ended up on a small green arrow, taking that into the summer months and uh, it, looking at my overall rank, I ended the season at 22,098 overall. So pretty positive, um, pretty positive result. I think in after game week 36, I was 9.7K. So I was really in position to get my first top 10K finish ever, but uh, end up 22K OR. So this is my second you know, best finish ever. And uh, ultimately, I'm pretty proud of that effort. Um, this free hit, it didn't go as well as I was hoping. I think a lot of players had a good mix of, um, of points across the board. So some of the guys that I took out like Osaka, um, you know, like, uh, some of the other, other players across the board did score points. So that, that kind of hurt my free hit, but captain son loved watching him win the golden boot co golden boot with Salah. He ended up with 24 points. I had James Madison. He really delivered the goods as well. And elsewhere, Harry Kane, another double-digit return with 10 points. And Sessegnon and Matip, another one of my cheap center back gems, came in with a huge seven points. So 75 points all up and into the summer on a green arrow. Can't complain too much. Love to see it. And your makeout sessions with Matip have littered this podcast from start to finish. Um, we're getting sick of all the PDA with you and your center back, uh, darling, uh, from Liverpool. But <laughs> great season for you. Uh, I have to say, I think you were a little hard done. Game week 37 and 38. If they some of the chips fell a little bit differently, I think you were looking at a comfortable top 10K finish. Um, but really, the thing for both of us is I think we both had some really staggering game weeks. I know I had four triple digit game week scores, including game week one and game week 36, where I actually went above 150. I, so I felt really good about some points of the season. However, there were some really deep valleys and low points. I mean, I think in 37, I was struggling to get even 30 points and some other 30, 37 can burn in the fiery pits of hell. That is a game week. I never want to uh, review again. I did not have Richarlson and that was, I was sitting 9.5 K and I went all the way to 25 K in a single game week. So that, that was one that really got away from me, but um, Agreed. Man, th I, I those... lost 45,000 spots. So uh, that relatively makes, Ugh. I know your 12, your 14,000 spots were more impactful, but uh, that sounds, that sounds like uh, just a little uh, hiccup as opposed to my like fall <laughs> off the cliff into the ravine. I mean, again, again, it's, it's how you manage the marathon, right? You know, we, we went through some of those sprinter moments of double game weeks and like, well done for you bucks, you know, capturing 150 points a few times in this kind of rare season, but you have to bring it every single week and you have to for nail sure. your captaincy. You have to nail your transfers. 
you and I both took minus eights going into game week 37, and that proved to be a massive mistake. So I think there's, again, some macro learnings we'll talk about later in the podcast. But uh, before we get to that point and preview and review, excuse me, the game week uh, all-stars throughout the season, let's talk about the FPL Blues Super League winner, none other than Amar Solanke, a.k.a. Turkish Kabak. Well done. Let's get the actual claps out, Bucks. Yeah, baby. Congratulations, Amar. He's a big Liverpool fan. So I know he's excited to receive his trophy, slightly disappointed that Liverpool will not be hoisting the Premier League trophy. But Amar, you could represent, as you sit in Leicester, in enemy territory, you could raise the FPL Blues podcast trophy for the inaugural season champion an amazing, impressive 38-week performance from Amar. I think he was leading for close to 25, almost 30 of those game weeks. Corey was in front. Brian, I know you were at the top of the table, as was Maya. But it was an amazing season. We're looking forward to doing it again. And we also have some more silverware and shout-outs to uh, dole out. And that's because we had our first FPL Blues podcast, Super League Cup. Uh, this was a head-to-head matchup. That was generated just by the FPL game. And the winner of that was none other than Trevor Kukler, a.k.a. Babyface Reds. He took down the title as the last man standing. So I expect both of them will be receiving hard, in the flesh, real life trophies before the end of the summer. I know, Trevor, we already sent yours out. You're based stateside. Amar, when you're listening to this, uh, we're in fights with European customs right now to make sure your trophy gets to you unscathed and without breaking the bank uh, in the transfer tax window. Yeah, really well done by Amar. He had a very consistent season. He actually edges me out by six total points. So that that hurts. He had 83 points versus my 75. So he came from behind by two points. I had a two point lead going into game with 38. And he, uh, he took it down. So congrats to him. Kulusevsky, Mr. Kulu brought home the goods with 16 points. And that was a differential for him that, that brought him to the top of the league. So well done. You beat both the hosts of this podcast. So you're, uh, you're sitting pretty. And he was in the top 20K overall for this season. So well done. And we can't wait until next season. Again, we're looking to grow the league. Share it with your friends. We're definitely going to start engaging more with our Twitter community and building that out. That's one of our summer plans uh, for, for the pod. So we're looking forward to having an even bigger league next year and continuing to move up the ranks and battle one another for top manager in the FPL Blues Super League. For sure. And let's see, we can maybe even get the world number one to join the league next season. So we all have a real uh, you know, high goal to be chasing Uh, going into next season. Let's take our first break. When we come back, we'll recap some of the big takeaways from this season of FPL and some of the things that we could do better as podcast hosts and as FPL managers. All right, let's take a look at the top FPL team of the season. We're going to look at the starting 11 here, and it's very impressive to see that Liverpool is just littered with top players. Again, something for us to take as a takeaway from this season is some of these defenders were really racking up points. So let's start, Bucks, with the likes of Allison in the keeper slot. Allison is the top goalkeeper for total points. He was a premium goalkeeper. And if you look at the top of the goalkeeper point totals, there are a lot of those premium keepers. So, you know, a lot of previous seasons, the lesson is, you know, skip the premium keeper because they're not worth the differential. You might be able to glean some different takeaways from this season as Allison, Ederson, and Larice were all the top three goals uh, keepers in the FPL game. They were also all 6 million plus at the start of the season. Allison ends up on 176 points. Moving forward in defense, Big at the back is really a theme, I think, of a lot of different points of this season, specifically in the top scoring, the kind of elite FPL team. We had Trent, top scoring defender, 208 points. Cancelo, 201 points. Rabo on 186 points. And Virgil van Dyke on 183 points. I mean, 
I just have to say, before we even go to midfield and forward, that this is proof to me that a Liverpool triple up is an essential every single week of the season. I mean, even if they have a blank game week, you should probably still have three Liverpool players just for cover. Yeah, Bucks, and taking a look at the next two highest scoring players, they were actually also from City and Liverpool. Matip on 170 and Laporte on 160. So these are some, if we can find a pairing with maybe one of the cheaper center backs and one of their attacking fullbacks to start the season, that's definitely something that I'm actively thinking about. And we really got spoiled this year because the wingbacks who delivered a lot of the points across the core top four teams, even when let's say Spurs had uh, Doherty bringing in the points, those those guys were very fairly priced. So we're going to have an interesting off season to see if FPL towers raises the price on a guy like Trent who delivers 200 points with his eyes closed season in and season out. And if he gets a huge price increase to, you know, maybe 8.5, he ended the season at 8.4 million. And so he's clearly worth that value. And we saw Robertson have even better form in the second half of the season. So these are the type of players that they really truly outscore the forwards in this season. Yeah, and they're great value for the money because they get a lot of starts and they're very involved. And when they get clean sheets, they also oftentimes capture that elusive three bonus points, which is just an easy way to juice your point totals throughout the course of the season. One defender who's not on this list that I just want to make sure we shout out is Ben Chilwell. He suffered a really brutal injury uh, early to midway through the season. But over the course of the games that he played in, he was actually the highest scoring on average defender. He averaged almost eight points every game that he played in. So uh, just a sign that we are going to be rich with options in defense for next season. And there's some cheapies that might be coming in from some of the promoted teams. And there's just ways that you could really go big at the back all season long as a strategy. All right, let's take a look at the midfield. No surprise to see. Salah and Son right next to each other for the top point scores in the entire game. Salah ends the season on 265 points, whereas Son has 258. So it's crazy to think that anybody could have even come close to Salah's start of the FPL season where he only blanked one time in 17 matches. Yet Son's second half and his explosive, explosive nature of scoring multiple goals and even getting, you know, three goals in a couple matches, getting those hat tricks, he ends up just seven points short. So Bucks, those two players, they've shared the golden boot and uh, gave us a lot of options for captaincy throughout the entire season. Yeah. And, you know, they gave us some really special moments too. I think uh, Sun is up here. So we should just mention that that was a huge snub that he was not included in the PFA player of the season um, as one of the options, even, I mean, he's co-lead for golden boot. He took absolutely zero penalty kicks. So all of his goals were from open play, really incredible, incredible, special season for the South Korean. And he had some of his best goals with his weaker foot. So I just want to credit the growth and evolution that we saw, not just from the entire Spurs team, but specifically from Youngman Sung and the way that he was transformed under Conte. And uh, he's had probably his best season of his career. And I know he's had his best season ever for an Asian player in the Premier League. So bravo to him. And I hope we see an even better version of himself next season. Oh, Sonny boy. He just went on such a tear. I got his kit for my birthday in about mid-March. You inspired him. You inspired him. And after that, I mean, he ends the season from game week 32 onwards with almost 10 or 12 goals. I mean, truly incredible. And anybody who would have bet him for a future to catch Salah at that point for the golden boot would be a very wealthy uh, man or woman. So well done to those two players. Let's also shout out the final end in the top scores for... The midfield, Bowen, 206 points, KDB, 196, and Mane, 183. The standout here is Bowen. We had no idea he had this in him, and he took his game to an elite level, and it truly was remarkable for the Hammers, who had uh, you know, Champions League aspirations midway through the season. Their depth ended up hurting them a lot, but he ends with a season high out of the entire FPL game, 17 assists. Truly remarkable there for FPL. Yeah, dream season. I think he came in uh, 
under 6.5 million or at 6.5 million. Um, so he was the bargain darling of the season for sure. Uh, I think he just showed what an elite player he is. Definitely earned a call up to the England national team, which he's secured. And I think he's a really exciting player for next season, but he's probably going to be priced around 8 million uh, at the floor, if not even higher than that. Um, KDB late entrant, I think kind of the fact that city won the league skewed the vote that he was the kind of player of the season. For me, it was either Salah or son very clearly. And, you know, I think KDB had a great season. He definitely put a lot of more goals in the back of the net than he has in previous seasons, really being the kind of finisher rather than just a creator, uh, but elite season from him and a masterclass from city to hold off Liverpool. Yeah, Bucks. I mean, one of the moments of your season has to be captaining KDB in the double game week for 36 for 60 points. That four goal performance and what three goals in like 25 minutes versus Wolves was 20, 24 minutes. Incredible. Yeah, wild. Yeah, truly an incredible FPL moment to just see all those points every time you refresh your team on the uh, the page. So um, impressive, impressive midfield there. Again, I just want to point out that. Bowen had 29 total FPL returns and only had five more points than Cancelo, a couple points less than TAA. And those are players that have a pretty proven track record of delivering the clean sheets. I think both Liverpool and Man City ended up on about 20 cleans this season. So Again, I think the predictability of these elite defenses is something that I want to focus on versus a player getting, even at 6.5 million, getting nearly 30 returns and only 200 points. So uh, very, very keen to uh, have at least three big defenders to start the season next year. Yeah, but it's fair to point out that, you know, TAA and Cancelo and a lot of the players on this list around Bowen are on the elite teams, whereas, you know, West Ham were plucky. They beat a lot of the big four teams or at least put on really great challenges against them. A fun West Ham fact, in case we have any Hammers fans out there, they did not go without a goal in any of their home matches the entire season. So they scored a goal at least one in 19 out of 19 of their home matches. Uh, that's really impressive. And unlike the teams that we support, Chelsea, um, who really screwed the pooch when they were playing in front of the home crowd, uh, West Ham really dominated when they had home cooking. So that's something to be mindful of next season as you're looking at potential differential captains. The fact that the teams that sometimes are you know, bosses in front of their fans versus the teams that kind of uh, have more vengeance and more to play for on the road to play as spoilers. Uh, just something to be mindful of. Let's wrap it up with the man at the top of the formation, the kind of solo dolo forward option this season. And that was one Harry Kane. He surged to life out of being an uh, invisible man for the first handful of game weeks. And he ends up on 192 points as the kind of uh, standalone forward in the 4-5-1 formation. Impressive to see him end with 11 assists, many of those to his counterpart, Son. Spurs have a, a really bright future ahead of them under Conte. Conte is somebody that we'll touch on later, but their trio of attackers really delivered and saved our bacon from an FPL perspective many, many weeks in a row, Bucks. I think there was a five-week stretch where... A lot of the other teams like Liverpool, like Salah, they weren't delivering, but thank goodness we had Son or Kane and Kulu in our sides. Um, you know, they, they really had it popping. And considering that Kane really did nothing for the first 16 games of the season, a uh, great result. And he looks to be happy to stay at Spurs and hopefully start the season off hot next year. I will be a little bit interested to see on the rotation for Champions League as they didn't have as many European commitments this season uh, in playing in Europa. So it'll be interesting to see if they build some more depth in the offseason and make sure that Kane doesn't have to play every one of those opening you know, UCL um, matches in the group play. So that, that'll be something that we'll definitely keep an eye on because they need to make sure that as Kane and Son you know, get older, they're both about 30, that they do get a little bit more rest in between Premier League matches. 
Yeah, great shout. And, you know, should just mention at this point that of the top 15 FPL point scorers, eight of them were from Liverpool. And obviously Man City and Spurs also feature heavily. Um, Just it's a reminder to bet on the best teams with the best players. Uh, Sometimes we kid ourselves in double game weeks going after the likes of Burnley or Watford options. I know I did that multiple times this season, even Crystal Palace. Let's throw them into the dog (laughs) pile. And uh, that could just be brutal. And that's the difference. These small margins, you know, taking an unnecessary hit, making the wrong transfer move, picking the wrong captain. That's the difference between ending up with a score that you're, you know, racing around telling everyone, oh, I ended up top 10K. I ended up, you know, sing in you know, four digits, five digits, as opposed to, you know, ending up somewhere 250,000 or a hundred thousand overall. So um, just staying engaged, picking the right captain, that's an easy route to be a really elite FPL player. All right, Bucks, let's take another break. We'll take a look at some of the macro moves that the Premier League teams made, such as best transfer of the season, coach of the season, and some of the disappointments. And then we'll also talk about some of our takeaways from the past FPL season. We'll be right back. And we're back. We're going to dive into some of the big picture takeaways from this FPL season, as well as some of our key learnings, uh, you know, not so far removed from the season about some of the things we can improve on as FPL managers to be better in 2022, 2023, and really just things we should be mindful of as we approach game week one, as well as throughout the whole course of next season. Not just us two, but all of our listeners and all the FPL managers out there. All right, Bucks, let's take a look at who we thought the coach of the season was. I think you and I have a different guy at the top of the charts there, but you have written down here in our notes, Eddie Howe as your Newcastle manager of the season. So tell me why you went with Eddie Howe over the likes of Antonio Conte, who I think would be my choice for impact manager of the season. Yeah, Eddie Howe, titan of the turnaround. He came in just before the winter transfer window. Uh, Newcastle were a club that had just gotten bought by splashy and very wealthy new ownership. He made some key investments into the defense, into the midfield. And you look in game week 30, they were actually from midpoint of the season. So game week 19 to game week 30, they were top of the table for most points secured. They were even above Man City, above Liverpool. And I really just mark that down to the strategy, the tactics, and the calm that Eddie Howe brought to the sideline on Tyneside. Very impressive from Newcastle. They were in 20th position. They were in 19th position for a majority of the first part of the season. And Pretty soon after Eddie Howe became the leader of that team, they were leapfrogging teams left and right, rising the kind of bottom half of the table. So I just think he had a lot less to work with than Antonio Conte did. And that's why he was my coach and transformative coach of the season. Um, And I should mention Conte was my number two selection in this category. With the Newcastle fans really turning up and making that a really raucous environment to play in, that was one of the biggest takeaways that I had uh, for this past season. The fact that you could go in there and an Eddie Howe-led defense was keeping some clean sheets, which is not something that he's a been wonder, known for. So a wonder. <laughs> very surprising, but I think, um, again, we're going to see a big overhaul of their overall team but I'm looking forward to what they can do next season and top eight definitely in play for them next season, given the caliber of um, form they had to end the season. But for me, Conte. Why Conte? Yeah, coming tell in, us. I mean, Antonio Conte coming in and really transforming a lackadaisical Spurs team. You know, I can't believe they started the season with Nuno. That, that was a mistake uh, to begin with, but he comes in and, I, I mean, I can't even believe they fired Jose Mourinho in the week preparation before a final last season. That's why, just quick, that's why Conte is not my number one because Spurs have top tier. They have elite players. So the players did not show up for Nuno. I mean, the club kind of like dumped Nuno into the waste bin and then they were like, oh, this Italian dream coach with great hair and suits named Antonio Conte. And he, <laughs> it wasn't like he saved their season from my POV. I think really the players 
just decided that they were now going to be serious and play in a way that merited getting three points in a lot of matches. I mean, they needed to change their formation, change their tactics, the, the mentality that fair, content fair. brought to them. And having the vision, though, to sign two players that were very much not on our radars during the January transfer window in Kulu and Benker. I mean, th- those guys transformed their season. So I think those are things that a great manager like Conte can spot those weaknesses and how to improve on them. And then, again, getting the most out of Kane and Son uh, to, like you said, elite players. So just to have Spurs, um, who were a number of points behind Arsenal um, to end the season and catch them, win the head-to-head matchup in a crushing fashion, 3-0, and uh, earn that Champions League spot. I thought he was uh, you know, very much an impact uh, manager of the season. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with you. They were both great selections. Uh, I think Conte had a incredible return to the Premier League and Spurs. Uh, they righted the ship for sure at the second half of the season. Other coaches and names we want to just include in here, Jurgen Klopp, he was the one who actually got the official award for Liverpool's performance this season. At one point, they were chasing the quadruple. They were going for two domestic trophies, the Premier League and Champions League. They end up only getting two domestic trophies. So overall, I don't think they're going to be regarded as one of these legendary Premier League sides the way that some of Sir Alex Ferguson's teams were or the Invincibles at Arsenal were, but they they were on that level through 35 game weeks, 34 game weeks. So they played the maximum amount of matches, really impressive, persevering performance from Jurgen and the Reds. Yeah, I just wanted to double tap there. I mean, given the fact that there was a moment in time in the final game week where they're Fans were really dreaming that, wow, we could actually pull off the quad to the comeback from Manchester City to win the league. And then they drop the UCL and score zero goals versus a Real Madrid team that had previously In a revenge match, yeah. Leaking them. And um, especially with the, the comments from Salah talking about revenge and how they wanted Real Madrid and not Manchester City. A little bit of karma goes in the, uh, the way of an egg into the Egyptian king's face so uh, just a relative disappointment considering in how high regard we thought this Liverpool team um, you know was held in so I think uh, Liverpool fans you know they'll they'll walk alone without their two big trophies then this season ouch that was savage holy cow Uh, one more name I just want to throw into the mix here and that was Patrick Vieira I think Palace, we had predicted, along with many other fans of the Premier League and fans of the FPL game, that Palace would be one of those teams narrowly avoiding or fighting for their relegation lives to just stay up in the Premier League. And they finished very comfortably. They were never uh, really in that relegation battle for any extended period of time. And I think that Patty V just did a shit ton with a lot of okay to mediocre players they made a complete overhaul from Roy Hodgson's team last season they played a lot more expansive a lot more gung-ho and going forward and uh, I just think that there's a lot to be excited for if you're a Palace fan going into next season and what could lay ahead for some of their young talent uh, to develop and get more minutes and let's see what happens there Let's move on to the best transfer move of the Premier League season. Now, this could be any player, not just uh, in the mid-winter transfer season. This could be before the season, any moves that we want to shout out as kind of the most impactful new signings, uh, new additions to various clubs in the Premier League. And surprisingly, after we saw both Lukaku and Ronaldo join the Premier League once again, Our number one consensus between both of our hosts here is Kulu as the number one signing. The 22-year-old Swede, you know, freshly came into Conte's side and he delivered in a huge way. And it also helped that even from an FPL perspective, he was priced cheap and ready to buy. So, Bucks, what were your thoughts on Kulu, who we, you know, when we look back at our pods, you know, mid-season in the January transfer window, we were like, yeah, could make a difference. Don't know how many minutes he's going to play. Don't know how, you know, if he's ready for Premier League football. And he clearly showed his talents in a big way for Conte and Spurs. 
Yeah, he hit the ground running in a ferocious pace. I mean, he came in, he was scoring goals. He had assists pretty much from Jump Street. And what's interesting is they also signed Bentoncourt. He's honorable mention in this category. He was the one that was signed as a permanent deal. So I think even Spurs were a little surprised on how impactful and how perfect of a fit Kulusevsky was alongside Youngman Sung and Harry Kane, and it's part of the front three. Uh, his loan deal is now made permanent. That was an easy move uh, for Spurs. I think they would be uh, hard done to make a more simple signing um, any point in the next couple of years. I mean, that was such a layup for them to bring him in permanently. Yeah, looking at Kulu, he features in 14 matches. He puts up five goals and nine assists. So he's basically 6.5 million. He's getting a return a game. And he was really helping the link up play between Kane in the midfield, getting those those long balls over to the likes of Sun and Kulu. And man, they they were they had the stretch there where they could do nothing wrong. I think they had 23 goals in four matches, four or five matches. So that was definitely a moment of the season for us from an FPL perspective, too. Yeah, coming into 2022, they were hot fire. I mean, they were, they were white hot, so to speak at white heart lane. Um, and they, they came coming out of the boxing day fixtures. They were the best offense and the best team in the premier league for the next six or so game week. So they really turned it on coming out of game week 25 all the way till the end of the season. They leapfrogged a couple teams and end up with that elusive fourth champions league spot, which is going to make a huge difference as we approach this coming summer transfer windows, because a lot of elite players need European football to sign the dotted line for your club. So I think that's going to be a big differentiator versus a team like Arsenal, who are just going to be competing on Thursdays for Europa League football, whereas you know Tottenham are going to be playing with some of the big boys on Tuesday and Wednesday in the Champions League. Another player we want to shout out is Bruno G., for Newcastle. This Bruno Himares. Himares. He, 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 the Brazilian comes in. He was really compared to the likes of like Nabi Keita as like a box-to-box player, but he comes in and has five goals and one assist in his last, I believe, six matches. So really came into the side in a big way and they eased him in. You know, that was something that I also thought was interesting from Eddie Howe. Um, you know, his first three his first three matches if you look at his game log on the fpl site game week 24 one minute game week 25 one minute game week 26 two minutes and people were like what the hell did we sign who, we who is this guy for 40 million, million euros dollars. Yeah. yeah exactly exactly um but he comes in and really helps you know the creativity and also just the passion um, he's a box to box guy who I think is going to be a long standing player in that side and excited to see if he'll be priced to buy next season as one of the cheaper enablers, because this season, I think just looking at macro level at some of the midfielders, you know, we had the likes of Saka, Kulu, Bowen, all 6.5 million. Madison was 7 million. Those guys are all going to be priced to closer to eight, eight, five. So we're going to need to find some gems um, out there like a Bruno G potentially when we're also going to want Holland, who's going to be expensive son or Sala, you know, we're going to have to find the new wave of 6.0, 6.5 million pound midfielder. So definitely have my eyes on him. Yeah. And I just want to add that Bruno Himaris, the reason he's on this list for me and second spot is because he single-handedly secured six points in the table for Newcastle in the second half of the season. He had a brace, uh, including the game-winning header in extra time uh, in a much-needed relegation battle, and I believe it was game week 30 or so. And then he had oh, another... Oh, Bucks, that... That, that header reminded me of like a dolphin flopping out of the water and he was just full spread right into the, the back of the net with that one. That was uh, quite the moment in, in extra time there um, to uh, secure those, those three points, where, which at the time were huge. That exactly. And he had another game where he also had the game winning goal. So I just think for a young player to come into a side that was really in a bad way, they turned the season around and he was at the core of a lot of their goal scoring efforts and a lot of the winning plays that they made uh, to kind of jump up into the next tier above relegation. Lastly, let's talk about 
Luis Diaz, another Liverpool player, he's not featured in the team of the season. And I think that's only because uh, part of ability in the fantasy Premier League game is availability. And he wasn't in the league for half it. But I think if he had the full season, he would probably be number nine uh, in the top 15 players because he came on with a bang. He's really fast. He had the most shots on goal since he was brought into Liverpool, only behind Mo Salah. So if you're just behind the Egyptian king for putting the ball on net, you know your team is trusting you and you have audacious confidence levels going at goal. And this signing is even more impactful because the recent news is that Mane will be leaving Liverpool and joining Bayern. So this is a huge signing. It's his replacement effectively. And he is truly an electric player to watch. We want to see him be more clinical. And although all those shots that he was setting himself up for, a lot of them were pretty far off. So we're going to need him to be a more clinical player. And that's what we've seen from Mane over the last five seasons in FPL. So this is not on our rundown, Brian. So I'm going to just spring this on you. But uh, one of the dream FPL and kind of generic Premier League transfer moves that I'm hoping takes form in reality is Mane to Bayern and Lewandowski comes to Liverpool to lead that line alongside the likes of Salah and Luis Diaz as kind of a swap to make the money work. Um, I just, we already know Holland is coming to Man City. Is there anyone else who you really want to see join the Premier League in advance of next season? And what club would you put them on? I'm putting you on the spot here. Oh man. I mean, I think Lewandowski is not a player for Liverpool, who are trying to still build for a future. You know, Trent is very young still. We look at Diaz. Jota is relatively yeah, Trent's young. Trent's only 23. Just, yeah, crazy. Yeah, I, I just don't see them bringing in an older player than Mane. Uh, I think they could go after uh, – my pronunciation is going to be terrible here, but in Cuckoo. In Cuckoo, from, yeah, for sure. Or, or Dar- Darwin. Yeah. Uh, Darwin, uh, I believe it's Nunez who's another player who's been linked to that club. So uh, I, yeah, I agree so with you. I, I They'll probably go those, young. Those are, those are two players that um, on the world scale um, had huge seasons. I think in Cuckoo for um, the Bundesliga, he's the leading goal scorer, uh, right, or second leading goal scorer right behind uh, Lewandowski. So I think that's the type of player that can grow with the squad and have the legs to play all these extra matches. I mean, Lewandowski is very talented. He's a goal scorer, but he's been playing in the Bundesliga for so long and his age of like 35, 36, I just don't see him really being an impactful player. So I, I, I bet they go young so they can continue to build under Klopp who has signed a contract extension as it is. All right. And now we're going to transition to what we actually planned to talk about, which was the least impactful, the most disappointing, the most shit transfer moves of the FPL season and the players who really stood out, the players, teams, anything that was the most disappointing for us uh, this season, who stood out and jumped off the page. Brian, I'll defer to you. You can go first. Uh, My list and your list are, I think, a little different in this regard. So uh, why don't you take your, your soggy sorrows first? I mean, honestly, I think the likes of Ronaldo and Lukaku were very high highly regarded signings coming back into the premier league for huge, massive global teams with champions league aspirations. And they were huge flops. Um, I mean, I think like macro Ronaldo at his age still had a fantastic season, but he didn't elevate the team to a, a status that they thought they could reach. And I think there was just a lot of growing pains with the team and the manager, uh, et cetera. We're seeing a huge amount of turnover with that squad. And then when you look at Lukaku, we thought he was going to be perfectly placed to have a much better uh, reunion um, with Chelsea. And he didn't be butted heads with the likes of Tuchel. And so both of those players who we thought were going to be like, oh, my God, how do we fit Kane, Lukaku, Salah, and Ronaldo into our teams? We're, we're actually going to have some tough choices to make. And instead, we only had to make a couple of those decisions um, in some of the double game week. So it didn't really, it, it didn't really diversify the game of FPL in the light that I thought it would. Yeah. And I actually predicted on this podcast early in the season that I thought Lukaku was going to outscore Ronaldo and Kane and maybe even Mo Salah. I made that prediction. Oh, uh, that man. definitely felt I'm, I'm surprised. 
I'm surprised you brought that back up, Bucks. That's that's for the um, and a hardcore listener to mock you on Twitter about or something. But that's uh, that one is tough to swallow because, I mean, especially Lukaku's brace versus Arsenal to open up his return to the Chelsea Blues. We were, you know, really flying high at the time as well. I think you know the Chelsea squad was healthy. They were looking like they could possibly compete for the title, and then we bring in Lukaku and. Man, it, it went south pretty quick, and I think he will not be a part of this team next season. I agree with you there. All right, uh, for my list, I just want to say Leicester is first. Uh, I think they had led the Premier League. They were in the top four for the more days than Man City, more days than Liverpool, more days than Chelsea, teams that actually were winning the trophy uh, for the Premier League and securing Champions League year in, year out. Leicester kept falling just short. And I thought that because they would have less commitments uh, during midweek, that they would really have a strong season. I have a lot of faith and respect for Brendan Rodgers, their coach. And I liked some of the moves that they were making around the fringes. They just got terrible injury luck and they really had a forgettable season from pretty much game week six on. They were irrelevant. So uh, I think they were my number one disappointment. I definitely had them as securing European champions, uh, excuse me, European competition for next season. And they fell, they weren't even in the top half of the table. So they definitely missed the mark there. Um, Also, I have the kind of big money transfer guys. Uh, You mentioned Lukaku and Ronaldo, uh, but Grealish, Sancho, anyone who claimed like a 70 million plus fee, I feel like was a total flopper this season, uh, not just in FPL, but also in the Premier League writ large. You know, it's funny, Bucks, based on those two observations, I'm actually feeling pretty bullish on both Madison's and uh, Grealish's actual potential next season. Um, so even though the team was disappointing for Leicester, Madison, again, he's right in the prime of his career. He gets the largest amount of points from an FPL perspective, and he ends up with 12 goals and 11 assists. So he was the lone bright spot in a team that really had a lot of defensive problems. So I'm just going to just going to say that, you know, I, I am actually bullish on him as a mid price asset next season. The rest of the team, though, agree with you garbage. You know, they, they got a lot of injuries to their defensive spine. And um, yeah. I but think you're Grealish, just twisting the knife. I think you're like, <laughs> Bucks, you got the Lukaku prediction so wrong that these predictions and prognostications you're making at the end of the season, I'm just going to take the other side of that coin flip and I'm going to be doubling down on Madison. And you said you don't like Grealish. So he's going to score 20 returns next season for certain. No, no, I actually, I like Grealish heading into next season. I really think that he underperforms, but learning Pep's system and going from the player that he was at Villa into a impact player on one of the best teams in the world and winning a premier league trophy. Um, you know, let's hope that he has enough saliva to uh, talk to his teammates after all of his celebrations and his uh, antics in the parade and uh, talking shit to everybody that could listen to him. But um, I'm actually very bullish on his price tag because I think it might be quite low. And if he could break into the squad and play more minutes, he's definitely a player that um, I think could have a huge bounce back season. Yeah, especially if Sterling is leaving Man City as well as Gabriel Jesus has been widely reported. Um, Last for me, uh, this is a funny one, but uh, players and their interactions with law enforcement off the pitch. uh, We saw a lot of uh, (laughs) naughty behavior from certain Premier League players. We're not going to mention their name here as we don't want to give them airtime, but uh, there was bad behavior across the table. from players that are impactful and entering their prime to players on the backside of their career. Um, that's all the backside talk we're going to have in this section. Oy vey. Yeah. Th- that, that was a genuine surprise because this is not in our, our shared notes. So I love, I love that shout out. You know, we, we need our players to, again, availability for FPL is one of the most prized commodities. We need you to be available. We need you to, not be at the club late night and talking trash to somebody's girl that requires you to then get dropped by pep. Again, we don't need to name names, but these things happen way too often this season. So hopefully next season with the world cup also, you know, right in the middle of the season, we need our players to really hone in and focus and uh, focus on the games at hand. So hopefully that becomes a case. All right, let's wrap this up with uh, in this section. And then we were to come back with just some macro FPL 
ramblings and learnings that we took from our seasons. Again, I had a pretty good overall rank bucks, a little bit of a sophomore slump, but I think that's the most interesting thing is, you know, you were at 13 and a half K the, your rookie season, absolutely flying. This game is a, is a marathon. So keen to hear some of your observations as well. We'll be right back. All right. And we're back. Let's get this out of the way so we can move on to the off season and start preparing for next season. These are our big picture FPL learnings from the chaotic and challenging 2022 season. Um, Let's just start off with the most important rule of the FPL game. And that is the importance of nailing your captain selection. I mean, we both went Salah almost 20 times. I know you're over 20. I'm at 19, but the big takeaway is you captain the best players on the best team without fail, especially when they're in form uh, that counts for Mo Salah. That counts for Hyung Min Song. That counts for KDB. I mean, that's the way to make sure that you are going to have a competitive FPL season. You kind of throw out the likes of a Veghorst or a Denny. Um, just don't waste your time. Even if they have two, a double game week, it's just not worth the risk uh, to the upside of chasing the best players making the biggest impact. Yeah. Taking a look at Salah, I captained him 23 times for a total of the entire season of owning him for 499 points. So again, when you have the captaincy correct, you use your other players in your squad as the differential. Right. So many people want to go differential captain and go with Denny or go with Vague Horse or go with Richarlson. You know, sometimes it works out, but most of the time you can't actually predict the game script and how these weaker teams score points or score goals. Right. So I think that's something for us. Again, we want to make sure that we're projecting our transfers to focus on who are the best captaincy shouts in given weeks. So I think that's something I want to focus a little bit more about on is seeing the foresight to see. Who's playing, who's the top couple teams in the league playing the bottom feeders who are leaking four goals uh, in, in certain matches. So I know even think about Newcastle pre Eddie Howe, they had a couple of matches where they were giving three, four, five goals in a row and really putting up little resistance. Those are the teams to target. So you want to you know, plan that captaincy matrix out a little bit more. All right, let's keep it moving. Uh, for me, I think setting up from game week one and all the way through both of our wild cards and free hit chips. I think for me, a big lesson is maintaining maximum flexibility. There were certain times when I brought in a guy like Ben Johnson, or I stayed true to Shane Duffy. These are cheap 4.0 defenders. And I got caught in a trap uh, numerous game weeks where, you know, I was holding on to them because I liked the way that they had played in the past and that they had price risen. And instead of moving off them to the guys that were actually truly in form, I was kind of stuck by the fact that they were so cheap and I'd price rose. I, I felt like I was locked in to them long-term and that, that definitely stole a couple points uh, from my team. And I just think the ability to be able to bring in a guy like Kane. And then if Kane isn't working to switch to sun, you just want to be able to have the flexibility to react not just to your plan for what could happen five game weeks from now, but what's actually happening here and now in the game week in front of us. So uh, that's one of my big picture takeaways. Yeah. I mean, you need to be flexible, but I think focus your transfers on impact players, like getting stuck with those cheap assets at times. It's, it's okay. Right. You're You can bench them. Sometimes sure. you won't even you know want them to sub on for your team. But when we're looking at the chaos that, next year could potentially bring with about a 45 day break from the world cup. Um, you know, there will be more double game weeks ahead. So we want to, we want to focus on the you know top assets in those double game weeks and not around these cheaper guys um, that we would bring in and uh, potentially captain. So um, I think pile on uh, Brian, pile on here. Also no goalkeeper <laughs> transfers. Come on. We said it in the preseason. We said it at the end of last season, you were saying like, Bucks, what are you doing? I can't help myself. I'm like a moth to a bright light uh, in the summer months. Uh, I yeah, did it again. The, I did it again. Got to get the damn zapper out and, and zap you from doing this. Because last season, when you were in the top 10K, you took a hit to bring in Melier. And this season, you took a hit to bring in uh, Gaitza to set yourself up for future double game weeks. And then he doesn't even play. So I think, uh, again, we want, we want to find the value in keeper 4.5, 4.5, 4.5, 4.5, 4.5, 4.5, 4.5, 4.5, 4.5, 4.5, 4.5, 4.5, 4.5, 4.5, 4.5, 
just go with that guy, stick with him. The, the variance of his score is often going to be two points or six points. It, it's, it's not a huge position. Like even though Allison was a top goal, goalkeeper, he ends up with 175 points or so and 20 clean sheets, but that slot could easily be somebody uh, else that has upside of those double digit halls, which is really what we chase to, um, you know, leapfrog other managers in the outfield players. So uh, definitely sit tight with your goalkeepers, only change them on your, um, on your uh, opportunities when you can wildcard. Yes, Sensei. Now for next season, I will follow the, the learnings of the FPL. Blues third, third time's the charm. Third time's the charm, Bucks. All right. Um, another thing, just thinking about hits, um, you know, we didn't take as many hits, I think, collectively this season. But at the same time, because of all the double game weeks and last minute cancellations, we were forced into taking hits kind of mid-season. Uh, but with that being said, again, our minus eights in game week 36 is uh, something I want to put deep into 37, the recesses. Yeah. Game week 37. 37. Yeah, that, yeah. That was absolutely uncalled for. And, uh, you know, we both panic moved out Sala and brought in like KDB and he blanked anyway. So that was, that was a, a tough spot to be. And I wouldn't really want to focus on rolling my transfers as much as possible and then taking a hit to make three moves rather than panic each game week and, um, you know, take a minus four and bring in two new players. So that, that, that's something I think every manager plays a different style, but it's hard to bring in the single game week players that are going to bang immediately and make up those points. So if it's going to be a long-term move, you know, a minus four can be made up, but try and avoid minus eights uh, like the plague. Yeah. And just related to this, I want to throw in there that I think when you select your team in game week one, you really don't need to be having 15 players each and every game week. I really think just having 12 guys each game week is enough. And that's an easy way that you can balance your team as well as maintaining flexibility. So kind of combining some of our big picture lessons, and then you're not going to be making additional hits to kind of clear off bench two and bench three guy uh, from your team. And I think just having more discipline around making sure the starting 11 is optimized and that, you're moving players in and out of that starting 11 with a focus, not just on this game week, but also on the next few game weeks. So I agree with you. I think rolling the transfer and making more intentional and strategic transfers as late in the window as possible is a good lesson for us going into next season. Yeah. There were so many times where because of cancellations, we just ended up with like fielding eight players or nine players. And we, we did pretty well, as long as you own those premium players that were playing that game week to captain. So Definitely uh, something to think about. Um, and then lastly, you know, I really think there's value in defense and specifically some of the center backs. I really had a great run of form from Matip and Laporte that really helped propel me towards my overall finish uh, this season. So those double ups from the cheaper players, they could provide a lot of value, uh, especially on the top two defenses in the league that had 20 clean sheets. So um, I think a 4-4-2 or a you know, four five one is not something that I'm afraid of playing next season. Yeah, I was actually just going to say my top two formations were a five four one and a four five one. So I think with Holland coming into the league, and you're only going to be able to have a hundred million of starting budget for the FPL game, and I think Holland and Kane are both pretty much locks to be that kind of standalone forward in a lot of FPL managers dream team as we attack next season. So for me, I think that when I line up game week one, I'm going to be listening to this episode and reminding myself that I want my team to be able to play four, five, one or five, four, one pretty much every game week if possible. And so that's the way I'm going to be probably attacking the start of next season. There are going to be five subs starting next season in the premier league, which is going to throw another wrench and wrinkle into the FPL game. So it's only going to get harder from here as there are 10 million players expected to be in the FPL game next season, five subs and the world cup mid season, which has never happened before. So uh, a lot to be excited for and a lot of, you know, we had a lot of joy from this season. So we can only hope that next season is even better. We're going to be more seasoned podcasters, we're hopefully going to have even better finishes attacking our best ever finish next season. We're all tied for number one Preach. right now. Preach. So we, we can only, we can only maintain this spot through next season. Let's, let's both be 
challenging for that top of the table, not just in our mini leagues, but in the whole official FPL game next season. That will be something of a stretch goal for all of us and our listeners. Yeah, we need to take the crown away from Amar. Hopefully there'll be a new challenger next season. We're looking forward to, again, engaging with all of you and keeping in touch this offseason. The game will launch sooner than you know it. So we'll, we'll be back on the airwaves and give our reactions and player price previews and all the rest, and then hopefully have a few special pods this summer. So looking forward to connecting with you guys. And thanks again, Bucks. I know we've put in a lot of work this season. We're looking forward to keeping this thing rolling and steam, uh, steaming along. So let's do it. Great season, Brian. Thanks again, ladies and gentlemen, for listening. Follow us on social media. And as always, we will be in your airwaves and giving you guidance starting next season. All the best. Mm-hmm.